Are you doing the intro, Mike, or am I doing it? No, you're doing the intro. Hey, welcome into God's Word During Exile. This is a podcast in which um, uh, Mike and Matt and Ben and uh, Jason Goodham and uh, <laughs> Brett Bow Jason, you're together. Here. And uh, Jason is always here. <laughs> All right. The omnipotent um, Jason Goodham can sense his uh, presence. We, uh, we get together and study God's word over the intranet and have some fun while we're doing it. Uh, as you're going to tell from the antics that will ensue today. Uh, we're happy that you joined us and also allow us, I know we put it out on uh, on our Facebook page, but allow me to once again formally say thank you to you as our listeners. We reached 2,000 downloads on Podbeam, and so Podbeam, Podbean, uh, and we thank you for your encouragement and support through this. Um, continue to share our podcasts as you see fit, and uh, continue to email me as none of you have at God's word during exile. One word. I did it. Gmail.com. Oh yeah. You I, did. I emailed you. Yes, you did. Um, but none of our listeners have emailed me. Uh, and if no, I, no, I got to filter that. Uh, I'll text it into the group chat. Um, so we're just really happy to be back. Hopefully everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I know that my background isn't nearly as cool as it was last time as I sat outside of Beaver Stadium for a Penn State football game that they lost, unfortunately. But it was still fun to be there uh, and to be able to record um, the joys of technology. It is, when used appropriately, it is wonderful. So um, today we find ourselves, you guessed it, in Revelation chapter 18, because that's where we've been for the last five episodes. Um, but I have very high expectations that due to our leadership today, we will complete Revelation chapter 18. Otherwise, we're going to marathon through until we finish it. So if you're looking at the little um, number in the corner over here, over here, and it says over 300, no, that's not where it is. Over, th- it, it says over three hours. We apologize, but we needed to get through Revelation 18. <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of us was going to get fired, you know. From <laughs> yeah, we're going to have aggressive cuts uh, moving into the future. Um, this is just too hard to sustain on the current salary packages uh, that we are giving out to you, gentlemen. And uh, something needs to be cut. So I am probably going to be the first one cut because nobody needs the gift guy or the intro guy. Yeah, your salary is way oh. bigger than ours for all those gifts. I mean, <laughs> when when you pay people by the amount of beauty they have, you severely overpay when, when it comes to me. So, yeah, there it is. There it um, is. Well, I think now more than ever, we should probably open in prayer. And uh, as I said before, this is Mike over here. This is Matt down here, Ben here, Jason Goodham over here, and Brett Paul is somewhere in this corner now because he got up and moved. (laughs) All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) 
Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord God, thank you so much for today. And um, thank you for another opportunity to dig in and study your word. Lord, thank you for the blessing that it's been to study revelation with these guys. And Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to do as you have promised, um, that your word would not return void. Um, God, as we <clears throat> look at Revelation 18 and hopefully 19 today, I pray that you would, by your law, show us our sin and bring us to repentance. And Lord, point us to Christ and his finished work for us. By your word, strengthen our faith um, and just, yeah, ready us for your service, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're reading from uh, Revelation chapter 18. We're going to start verse 21 and read through 19 chapter verse four today. Hopefully we'll get through all of that. And I'm reading, I think, from the English Standard Version. Uh, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so Babylon, or so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. And will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, I think free Lutheran trumpeteers is what it means, Matt. Is that true? Hardcore ones? <laughs> yeah. uh, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bride, groom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ah, word up. I was waiting for Natal to do that, but I'm glad you got it, Matt. <laughs> All right. <Word> so, <laughs> so as we jump into 21 here, uh, we've got something kind of familiar to us in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've got a mighty angel that's uh, acting on God's behalf. Um, we've seen a mighty angel a couple other times, haven't we, guys? Chapters 5 and 10. And we identified him as Jason Goodham, right? Oh, that's, was that what? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. You probably let Jason a, know that. A super, a super chiseled <laughs> hey, did you, Jason Goodham. Did you know that you were the mighty? <laughs> I bet, you know, of all the characters that we would associate him with, that he would be the most surprised by that one. Now, as we've, as we've talked about the mighty angel before, we didn't like try to identify it as a specific angel or anything right. like that. And I don't know necessarily that we can say that it's the same mighty angel in each place. Um, it's, I think the most important thing is just that, um, you know, we're dealing with a <laughs> servant of God, a mighty angel doing God's will, right? We wouldn't want to assign anything necessarily more than that, would we? Right. It, it's a little bit 
too hard to tell. And also I think unnecessary because it would give us some more specific clues if it wanted us to try to identify um, specifically. And the scriptures have not seemed to have much interest in identifying the angels. There's very little reference to um, a lot of specifics, uh, but there are descriptions of these nameless angels and mighty angels. And again, this could be the same one or a different one. We're not entirely sure. So, but definitely uh, one from the Lord and, um, and one that is particularly mighty. So that's about all we can probably say with, um, with it being able to be very definite about it. This angel takes a stone like a great millstone and throws it into the sea. Um, I don't know about you, but this, this reminds me of an, another passage of, of scripture. Um, yeah. About children. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It talks about uh, uh, it's better for a millstone to be attached to their neck. The people who get in the way of children coming to the Lord. If anyone causes them to stumble, is that how it phrases it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean, and the Natal translation was pretty good, though, too. I think, too, doesn't it specify? It says, like, uh, the little ones who believe in me to stumble, right? Yes. Because sometimes exactly the, the wonder is, when do kids believe in God? And this one says, hey, do it, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) And, you know, we we could go to several other passages about that. And that would, um, if anybody's interested in kind of where we're coming from with our understanding of that, you can feel free to email us or comment or something and let us know. But, you know, our understanding is that, that God can grant faith to anyone that faith is a gift and that God can grant it by his word uh, to any person, no matter how young or old, no matter how smart or uh, mentally impaired or whatever the situation may be uh, crossing all barriers. God is able to impart faith to anyone as his gift. Uh, You can see in Ephesians two, eight and nine that it's listed as a gift along with grace Um, and we see that faith, you know, as an example in John the Baptist, when he's in his mother's womb and he leaps, when Jesus comes into the room in his mother's womb, um, and we see there was already faith there and, and other examples as well that, um, either from, you know, even in the womb or to a a little child that, that, uh, they can believe and, and, and so, um, Really, as a part of that, then we recognize that God dearly loves his children and those that he's blessed with faith. Um, they are his and he will protect them. And he gives a, a crazy threat to anyone who would cause them to stumble. And he wanted the children to be permitted to come to him, um, sit on his lap and be near to him and and here we have, uh, I think, another passage that shows how far the Lord will go to crush evil and protect his children. And, um, and so I have a wonderful connection, I think, there. So we should make note of 
in that statement of Jesus that it would be better you know, for someone to have a millstone hung around their neck and drown in the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. And the, and the point is that, um, and this also should tell us by the very language of Jesus, I mean, other than the fact that he blatantly says they believe, but um, the language of stumbling is, is always connected with faith, right? So to cause someone to stumble in the New Testament is to endanger their faith this caused them to uh to fall so as to lose their faith like this is the whole point of what uh saint paul is talking about when he talks about the distinctions of you know meats and this and that and the stronger and the weaker brother kind of a thing and his warning in regard to not causing someone else to stumble is not like oh i just offended them or I made someone a little uncomfortable, but that stumbling block, I mean, it's the same thing he talks about um, that the message of the cross is a stumbling block to Jews, right? It is something that gets in the way of faith. It's something that destroys faith. And so if someone, uh, if they're, so in the case in St. Paul's talking about the distinction of meats, he's saying, you know, that uh, meat offered offered to idols really is nothing and there's no sin uh, in eating that meat, but, but there'd be those who, especially, you know, Jewish converts to Christianity who have grown up with this long teaching and, and tradition that God put in place in the old Testament, that they were not to eat meat offered idols. If they were to do that without being sure in their conscience that it was okay for them to do that, you know, to go against that conscience threatens, um, it threatens their very faith in, in Christ. And so to put a stumbling block before someone is to cause them to lose their faith. And so even the way that Jesus is speaking of causing these little ones to stumble, they can't stumble if they don't believe in him. Nobody can stumble unless faith is present or unless there's even that possibility of, of faith, right? So even in that language, but it also explains too why the judgment is so severe. I mean, if nothing's happening, if these kids are just, you know, as some like, John MacArthur will say, oh, it just shows us how much Jesus likes kids. I mean, really? That, that's the only significance to this text is to tell us that Jesus likes kids. Like, really? Okay. Yeah, so, uh, not uh, to cut you <laughs> off, Ben, but if John MacArthur is listening to this and you want to interact with us, God's word during exile, <laughs> all one word at gmail.com. I would I would love to interact with you. Um and you'll feel free to email. I tell you what, John MacArthur, if you email Mike, I will I will take you out to lunch sometime. I think it's pretty likely that it's gonna happen. Um, just wait. So I hope somebody makes a dummy account and just emails us from it. So um, catfished by John uh, MacArthur. So if it's not, if it's not talking about faith, then one, we said this, what in the world is the stumbling? And two, I mean, the stumbling is connected to what? Them hindering the children from coming to Jesus, right? Anyways, but it also explains, like, that's a really severe thing for Jesus to say, Right. It is essentially the same thing that he says about Judas, right? That it would have been better for the betrayer of the Son of Man had he never been born, 
right? It's a very similar kind of thing. Hey, you, any of you who would cause any of these little children to stumble so that they do not believe in me and come to me in faith, you know, it'd be better if you were dead <laughs> than for you to do that, right? That's a really serious thing. And if that passage is just telling us how much Jesus likes kids, how does that make any sense? Why such a severe statement of judgment, right? It'd be better for you to be dead than to hinder these children coming to Jesus, right? So there's a lot more going on there than just Jesus likes kids. But anyways, back to, you know, so we have that connection then to that very, as Matt was pointing out, that very severe condemnation of, of Christ on the one who had caused those kids to stumble. Um, and the judgment of the harlot, right? The millstone <clears throat> sinking to the depths of the sea. And I think that's exactly what happened here with the city ba- that's called Babylon, which is, you know, uh, been deceived by the harlot riding the beast, right? And this is a picture again in review of basically this evil world that we live in the people the residents of this world who are being deceived by these uh servants of the devil and um and remember it was that city was described as like a haunt there were evil spirits working in in that place and um and the harlot was luring people in and deceiving them and so they that's another way of saying causing these ones to stumble, right? Do you think Ben just got lured in by the harlot? Oh my goodness. I really hope not. Me I too. Really not. But yeah. uh, Matt, I think you're making actually the 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 right connection here because as we hear about that millstone which obviously being thrown into the sea draws our mind back to what Jesus was saying about any anyone who causes these to stumble and then we come down to verse 23 um, you know, all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. I think you made that right connection. Mm-hmm. Babylon was, you know, helping out and, and causing those little ones to stumble. And that's why this, this picture of judgment is exactly what it is. It's kind of the kind of fulfillment yeah. in a way of what Jesus said. It'd be better for them to be dead. And here you see the, the, the true judgment coming. Mm-hmm. You know. <clears throat> ah, I don't know if we can finish this without Ben. So should we just stop right now? <laughs> now's our chance yeah. to make lots of progress it's true, so let's... It's true. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be surprised how far we've gotten when, you know. uh, let's let's take a look i think it's really helpful um to just kind of get the big picture on this section um and just just look at you know the big idea of what this judgment kind of looks like because 21 we get the city is going to be thrown down and she'll be no more and then we get the explanation of of what that no more is going to look like and it's pretty pretty desolate pretty dark pretty bleak pretty sad picture that's given after after judgment comes upon babylon isn't it and i mean the commentary by Lou Brighton, he he used the term uh, ghost town to describe this. I thought that was kind of a compelling picture. I don't know if any of the listeners have experience with visiting a ghost town. I've seen on TV some like bigger cities that are 
considered ghost towns and it's really eerie. I've Sorry, only guys, been I was in... just trying out the rapture machine. Oh, yeah. We were hoping you didn't get lured <laughs> away as we were talking about that when, when mm-hmm. you took off. <laughs> she needed some more chocolate right in my cup. Oh, man. <laughs> well, we've got uh, this picture then of uh, like a ghost town. And I, I've only been in like small... Uh, rural towns that are now ghost towns and um i remember one this isn't actually like a very impressive one in the daylight but there was one out um near sydney montana when i was first going out there um my first time visiting i i uh i think i took somebody's advice and took a shortcut through the country and it was dark i'd had car trouble earlier in the day and then I was going down there at night and uh, so I could only see as far as my headlights. And then I came up and I thought I was driving through nothingness. And all of a sudden there was this dark little town or at least a couple of buildings down there or something. And um, it was just kind of an eerie moment. But if you can kind of imagine a place that had been bustling with life and with music it describes the sounds of harps and musicians and flute players and trumpeters um but then also there's craftsmen that had been there um the sound of hammers on anvils maybe and all of these things that work happening a busy city um and and so i don't know if there would be an example like if you could imagine a big city like Nashville, I actually think of, of um, I think nothing. of Detroit. Detroit yeah. is is like that. Um, and and they're bouncing back. So I'm I'm not speaking badly about Detroit, but when uh, there was there was a lot of hustle and bustle with um, uh, a car manufacturer where they had tons of plants in Detroit. They were making cars all the time, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of plants just stopped people lost their jobs. They had to move other places. And so here's this largely economical buildup of a city and nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they got hit pretty hard because of that lack of uh, builds and lack of commerce uh, and lack of money that was being put into the community uh, due to the jobs that had been lost. And like I said, they're, they're bouncing back now, but yeah, I would definitely say like um, a few years back, you could definitely say that Detroit was one of those ghost cities that prior to would be spoken about, like you were just saying, Matt, and then Mm. pretty heavily just went desolate and there was nothing. Yeah. And they had a real, heyday with like music and culture in Detroit before too right and it it was a really happening place and um and then you know after things got really hard it was a place where people were afraid to be down there and they were moving out of town and they didn't want to go down there you know what a change yeah um there's a city I want to say maybe a Cedar Rapids this was many years ago I was uh visiting a friend who was down there and I was seeing a bunch of buildings and stuff that apparently used to be big jazz clubs and stuff it had been kind of like the the for a little while it was kind of the new hub the new main place where like jazz was really 
exploding and it was really a happening place. And, and then all of a sudden that was just gone and just quiet, you know, kind of weird to think about that, that dramatic change. And so if you thought of like Nashville or New York city or LA or something that just a really busy, loud place with tons of amazing things happening and then just eerie silence. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of cities went through that last year, right. With COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about how Manhattan responded and how things just shut down and it was essentially like a ghost town. Hmm. So must've been shocking. I can't, Yeah, I can only imagine, I guess. I've okay. got a friend that lives in Baltimore area and works at the Pentagon. And he, uh, he said during the COVID lockdowns, like he would normally take him like 45 minutes to get there. He'd get there in like 15 minutes and see no other cars on the interstate, hmm. which would be super eerie in a big city like that. Yeah. But that's even just a, I mean, that's an imperfect picture even of what's going to happen. This, this destruction that's coming for Babylon is, is total, you know, it's, it's ultimate. Whereas anything we've seen is just not. Yeah. And I think, I think too, when we, when we hear of a, you know, a millstone sinking in the sea, we kind of just think of rocks sinking in the ocean, right? But we just have to remember that, you know, this is built upon, you know, the Old Testament and, and Hebrew way of thinking as well. So the sea is not so much the body of water, but it is, you know, the place of evil. It is place of, you know, you can say of judgment of, you know, there's no recovery from this from the sea, so that this millstone, you know, Babylon sinking like a millstone into the depths of the sea is a picture of judgment upon her. It's not just, you know, being drowned in the ocean kind of a thing, but we want to associate um, specifically, you know, judgment from which she will not recover. You know, it's just, again, mm-hmm. um, we're just reminded that, you know, though we're told that, you know, when we're told there's no sea in the new heavens and the new earth, it doesn't mean that there's no water or beaches there but there's no evil, no chaos, no judgment there, right? So we just want to keep that uh, that in mind as well, so that what we're looking at is, again, the, the eternal judgment of Babylon from which she will not recover. It's like you reap what you sow, right? You know, judgment of evil coming upon those who do evil, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's... Yeah, and, and like you said, it's complete. It's absolute silence in all these things. And they will be no more, it says with each of these, that that never again will these things be heard in this place. This isn't just a temporary shutdown. This is it. It is never to be hearing the sound of rejoicing and celebrating and productive work and all of this ever again. And think about that, too, because like we live in a world where it seems like we're constantly bombarded with negativeness, but there's a lot of good stuff that goes on. Imagine if you're just bombarded with all the negativeness without any reminder of the gospel or any reminder of something positive happening in your life, you know, family, friends, any of that stuff. Imagine if that's not there anymore and all you are are bombarded 
with garbage. That stinks. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm understanding this correctly, but this phrase and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. I mean, when I think bride and bridegroom, I think Jesus and his church. And, you know, if I'm understanding this correctly, then their time for salvation is going to be over at this point. Um, that no longer will the gospel of Jesus Christ shared by the church of Christ be shared anymore. They've had their chance to repent and now judgment has come and never again will they have this opportunity to um, hear of the forgiveness of their sins and to repent and believe in that good news. And, and that's a pretty scary thought. I think we got a both and thing going on there because I, I think it definitely does picture Christ in the church. And yet, like, can you think of a more joyful time than like the celebration after a wedding? Yeah. So those yeah, are some yeah. of the greatest times that people have. And so to lose yeah. that is pretty, pretty, pretty dark and pretty yeah. hard. And yet right. also it, it pictures, you know, there is no more voice of the church. The time of salvation is no longer for you. So yeah. I think you got both things going there. Hmm. Good point. Uh, as we kind of come to the end of this section in chapter 18, rather than the proclamation of judgment, we get an, another little short description of what Babylon was like. Your merchants were the great ones of the earth. We remember the lamenting from the previous passage about how all the nations are lamenting the loss of her. Uh, but that next line is one that uses kind of an interesting word. The nations were deceived by your by your sorcery um what is it what does it mean you know we've talked about the nations being deceived and led astray a lot but why why did they use that phrase by your sorcery there mike wanted to talk about magic and his mic is muted i know i wanted to talk about magic i don't know where to go with that though so i will defer to mr benjamin baker the, the righteous Reverend Benjamin Baker. Uh, if, anyone, if anyone is a type of biblical wizard, it would definitely be Ben. <laughs> there are wizards wizard. in the Bible? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, is that a good thing? <laughs> I'm just, you might have, here, here's, you might have been insulting me. I think all the wizards in scripture are bad guys. <laughs> Are they? Oh no! All right. Well, what I really meant yeah, by it was the someone. Magi. Oh no! You know, you know. Here, here's what it is. Uh, <laughs> a wizard is primarily someone who uses their book a sorcery, lot right? To help others. And so here's Ben using his Bible. Okay, so let's keep the, get this on record that Mike Nuttall, Reverend Mike Nuttall, thinks that people who read books are sorcerers. <laughs> So is this like a, right. a a Gandalf kind of sorcerer or like a Saruman or, or no, not Saruman. Up the, the Sauron kind of no, 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 sorcerer? none of that. Oh, Definitely okay. like Gandalf. Actually, I don't even know if you could be Gandalf. You're more like uh, what's his name, Ragavan or whatever his name Ra is. Radagast. Radagast. Ra oh, yeah, Radagast. That's it. Thanks so a yeah, lot. That's the crazy guy that you know, runs around with the animals. That's so flattering. Um. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, right, I think we need to bring we've this got back. a few examples of uh, possible <laughs> ideas connected with sorcery here. Uh, 
You'll, uh, we'll leave the <laughs> listener to sort through a little bit of that and see if there's anything <laughs> to get out of that. But uh, the, I mean, you know, anybody that would be using like false spirituality, um, fa- uh, false teachings, um, but pr- in a particular way, probably there's an emphasis on, on like conjuring up spirits or talking to the dead or, or communing with, you know, spirits that would be demons or, or dead ancestors or whatever. Um, you know, we understand a little bit of that, I think. And so like the occult, but also sometimes pulled in this is uh, drug use. And sometimes drug use is intentionally connected with occult practices and witchcraft and sorcery, um, you know, uh, fortune telling all of these types of things. Um, but yeah. I, I don't think that it would have to be limited just to explicitly those specific things. I think that it also is a reference to the general false teachings spiritually and the, the influence of, of these things that leads away from the true God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And definitely um, an emphasis on the the false and deceiving, right? Because the harlot is leading people astray through these various <clears throat> things, whether they be false signs and wonders or, you know, the use of various potions or this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, so definitely a, with the intent to deceive, you know, and to lead people essentially away from the truth and the one true God Hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And as go ahead, Pat. No, no, you go ahead, Mike. I'm going to say as, as we continue here at the end of chapter 18, we get a description of Babylon that we've, you know, we've, we've seen before. Um, Think about the, the two witnesses. And when we talked about that and various other places in revelation, Um, but in that, in that city um, was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and those who have been slain on the earth, Um, you know, always opposed to the church, always opposed to Christ and, and the message of his salvation going forth. Well, guys, do you have any thoughts on 18 before we close it up and jump into 19? I might praise no, let's move on. Let's the go. Lord. Let's go. All right. All praise right. the <laughs> Lord. <laughs> All right. After this, uh, when, uh, John hears a voice, a loud voice, like a great multitude in heaven crying out. Can we identify who is who is doing the speaking, what this multitude is here? Yeah, it's probably all of our listeners praising the Lord that we made it through chapter 18. <laughs> I think that uh, seems accurate. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be Handel, you know? It's the, at least in Brighton's heading, it's the Hallelujah Chorus. So this has got to be... It's got to be Handel. You're right. Handel up there directing the, yeah. the choirs. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've, we've got enough information here to say that. Did we? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, the London Philharmonic. There you go. Playing Handel's Ooh. Messiah. Under the leadership of George Gershwin. No, no, no. No, Leonard Bernstein. There you go. All right. We're going places here. Folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful thought, oh, though, isn't geez. that though, all that music that is so full of rejoicing? And this is such a turn from what we just heard about 
this eerie silence and that there will never be life or rejoicing again in Babylon. But now this, this amazing multitude. One of my favorite things that I ever get to do actually is, uh, is if I go up to our Free Lutheran Bible College in Plymouth, Minnesota, and go for the uh, the graduation weekend and the big uh, end of the year concert, the they bring up both of their choirs and all the alumni uh, that want to come up and sing, and you just have, you have this absolutely massive choir of people coming up and all these people who through the years have sung um, hand, the hallelujah chorus of Handel's Messiah. And, uh, and we all join in and everybody is kind of singing with everything they've got. And it's so powerful. And, and to me, it's just a little foretaste of heaven and this rejoicing here. And, um, I, I look forward to it so much and, and it will be so much better on this day when, when we all get to experience this together, um, in heaven, this kind of thing. So Hush, did you ask who was singing this? Yeah. Was that your question? Okay. That was the original so, question. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it talks about, you know, this great multitude. And we do see a great multitude singing a very similar song earlier in, like, Revelation 7 and whatnot. Um, but then later on, you know, we have, in addition to this, you know, like in verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures join in the song as well. So it kind of seems to give us the picture of the entire host of heaven, right? So, mm-hmm. so all uh, humanity that has been, you know, redeemed by Christ and, um, you know, that is present there um, before his throne, you know, all of the angels, everyone in heaven, they're all joining in the same song, um, which is kind of a neat thing that we probably talked about way back in, Revelation 7 as well. But, um, you know, in the church's liturgy, she has very similar songs that that she sings on a regular basis. Um, And it gives us that picture then that the song of the heavenly host and of the angels, we also sing that song on earth. And we do that in the divine service on Sunday morning so that when we are gathered together as as the church around word and sacrament, it is not just us uh, in our particular locations. We are indeed connected to the entire church militant on earth, right? And not only that, we are connected to the entire host of heaven, the saints in heaven, the angels before the throne, and we're all singing the same song and the same praise, right? So that's kind of a neat picture that we, that we have there. Mm-hmm. kind of go back to what Matt was saying about that contrast between the silence and desolation in Babylon and that heavenly chorus. It reminded me of, uh, maybe I've shared this before, coming to the end of um, our our kind of lockdown here in Montana with COVID. We had however many weeks we had where we were just streaming services. And so it was like, 
me in the pulpit and Pastor Mars was here at the time helping out. And then we'd have a musician. That was it in the church. Uh, and it was, it was a sad thing to be alone in the church. We're not, we're not meant to worship like that. We're meant to corp- worship corporately. The first Sunday where we had that, the pews filled again in the congregation there, when we got to the opening hymn and everybody started to sing, like the guy who was playing broke down in tears. As I heard it, I broke down. And I couldn't, I couldn't get through this song because that's how it should have been the whole time with us gathering right. together, singing the praises of God. Oh. And, um, you know, just a little picture of what heaven is going to be, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Still kind of chokes me up a little bit. When I think about it. I'm, I'm getting choked up a bit too, because it brought back memories for me too. I was the only one in the building when the recordings were happening. I was pre-recording initially for quite a while. And so I, it would just be me and a phone and a tripod and I'd go in there and it was eerie. It was quiet and it was really sad and it was hard for me to worship. It was hard for me to feel connected to people. And honestly, like part of what got me through there was like picturing I'm looking through the lens of that camera and envisioning the people that are going to watch this and listen to this because I had to hold on to the truth that other people were going to be trying to participate with me in this uh, through the recording, but it it was very unnatural. It was very weird and it was difficult to get through. And I still remember um, when we started to be able to get back together and eventually there were a couple people that came and helped and it was so different. And then when everybody got together, we had a service like that too, that, was so wonderful. And can you imagine doing that with your, you know, grandma who loves Jesus, who's gone, gone on to be with the Lord and with Moses and with the mighty angels and like, you name them who loved the Lord and they're there with you. I mean, amazing. So, it's interesting you know this this must have been a stanza that didn't make it into handel's hallelujah chorus um probably would have made for some awkward singing (laughs) for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth but but it's important for us to for us to hear what are what are they singing praise to god for in this particular instance right they say hallelujah which you know is probably a word that we say a lot and maybe don't think about uh, what it means. We often see it in kind of its, um, from its Greek form into English as alleluia, but, you know, in the Hebrew it has the, the hallelujah, and that's a call for all people to praise, which is the hallel, uh, to praise Yahweh, to praise God, right? So there's hallelujah, right? So why are they saying this? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, right? For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Right. So, again, didn't make it into, you know, Handel's chorus of Hallelujah. Right. But it kind of brings us back to the imprecatory psalms and and such, right, where it seems uh, kind of jarring to us and uncomfortable to us to praise God for his just judgments for his 
uh, judgment of the wicked. Right. And, um, and I think that, that that just testifies to, to us in this age, you know, because we have the, we still have the corruption of sin. We don't see things as clearly as we ought to. Um, and as starkly as they often are, you know, so, you know, make no mistake. The, the harlot is God's enemy is the enemy of the church. And, uh, what does, what did she do? Not only did she corrupt the whole earth with their immorality, but she, as we just heard in the previous chapter, right? She put to death the saints of God and the prophets, right? And mm-hmm. so we don't want to make any mistake that the harlot is evil, right? And and our sympathies should not go out to the harlot. Oh, that's too harsh of a judgment on you. You are only deceiving people and murdering God's saints and opposing the one, right? So it, it just kind of puts into stark relief for us. No, she really was, the harlot really is evil and God's judgment of her is true and just, right? And so, mm-hmm. but it's just not something that we necessarily think about a whole lot, but it is included in the song of praise from the hosts of heaven, right? Praising God no, for you know, Ben, I, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement because Chris Tomlin is constantly revamping old music. And so there's a good chance that maybe Chris Tomlin will revamp the Hallelujah Chorus in which he will add the condemnation of the great uh, prostitute. Into- I, I don't think so. It'll be the new bridge. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, he should probably stop doing that. And two, I don't think he would. <laughs> Uh, so Chris Tomlin if you're listening if you're listening to this podcast Chris Tomlin and you want to email us God's word during exile all one word at gmail.com if you listen to this I will buy you lunch email us Matt is going to buy you lunch uh, and take you out and he actually will help you write the refrain and the bridge to the hallelujah Uh, chorus and that that part back in he's got to make sure that he includes you know Judged, prostitute, immorality, avenged. You know, yeah. no, 100%. no sugar coat and no cutting, no cutting anything out there. Yeah. All right, so it's the uh, <laughs> second week in Advent right now, and I don't know if you guys are on the one-year lectionary or not, but if you're on the one-year lectionary, you get Malachi four as your Old Testament text. Okay, Malachi four one opens up with, "For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and all evil doers will be stubble." Right. Is it technically the first week of Advent? No, second week. No, it's the first week. This next Sunday um, will be the second Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, stop it. Right. Ben. Stop the it. The first ben. Sunday was this last Sunday. This is the first week of Advent. Don't, don't sass me, Ben. We're, we're coming up to the second <laughs> don't Sunday. Don't sass me, Ben. Anyway, there's a bigger point. Uh, so, uh, now you don't threw me off. Hark the Herald Angels sing. Hark the Herald Angels sing draws from Malachi 4. And so one year when I preached on this text, I tried to set that first verse to the tune of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Oh, oh, that work. Not well, not well. Uh, <laughs> Was it because of uh, your, your skill in doing that or, uh, or the congregation being in shock? <laughs> uh, it was a little bit of everything. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. Not that oh we're rating God. best verses in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but the best verse in it is verse four. And, and I'm willing to fight you on it. You're hard pressed to beat I mean, one. in all honesty, I would even go out on a limb and say verse four of Hark the Herald Angels Sing 
might be the best verse in all Christmas songs. Hmm. Is that the the veiled in flesh that God had? It's the one about um, rise the woman conquering seed bruise in him the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface stamp thine image in its place. So good. So good. Hmm. It is probably the best Christmas hymn there is. <laughs> At least it's out there. There's some really excellent ones, but it's tough yeah. to beat. That's, That's like Charles one. Wesley at his best. Also, Mike, I'm a little upset with you that you <laughs> um, called him Malachi when he is from my Italian lineage. Oh. And everyone knows that his name is actually pronounced Malachi. So I would prefer if you would allow me to have at least one prophet, I the forgot, Italian prophet. I Malachi. forgot that Malachi was from the tribe of Natali. Thank you. Oh man! Oh, my it God. all could have been so foolish. Wow. All right. Well, is there is there any of the content there in verses one and two in that song that that multitude is singing that we haven't covered that you guys wanted to hit on before we jump down? I just wanted to say that I think that we can all appreciate it might be good for us to meditate on how wonderful it will be when when the evil one and all of his temptations and all of his followers who would try to lead us astray when all of that is gone. I mean, for us who believe and we realize how sinful we are. And that we are prone to wander, that we want to do that stuff, but that we know this world is full of people who would try to lead us astray into traps. I mean, how amazing is it going to be when all of that is done away with? And all of those who hate us or would afflict us, trouble us, when all enemies are done away with, I think we can understand what it would be to rejoice at their defeat. Like, you know, after the world wars, like World War II, when when the Nazis were defeated and the people were rejoicing in the streets and there's, you know, just celebrating and singing and marching and all of that. I mean, you can imagine when with the downfall of evil and and all their corruptions, it uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing to experience. Did we want to talk about the everlasting smoke yeah that's down in verse three we can talk about that did i jump ahead or were you no you're fine you're fine okay. no you're fine so so after that the forever and ever there actually reminds yeah. me of the messiah as well yes yeah um so yeah so again they cry out hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever and um that might be kind of a strange thing to think about but but yeah it is that that forever and ever her judgment never ends right so we are speaking about an everlasting judgment it'd be like you know the harlot is cast into the lake of fire it's you know like in prison without the possibility of parole right you know it is um an eternal judgment so you know don't ever let anyone try to sell you on fact that um god's judgment is not forever um you know people try to get around that in a number of different ways 
and try to claim that scripture mm-hmm. doesn't teach any eternal judgment. Um, but it certainly does in ways that are more, even more explicit than this, but this is the whole point of the smoke of the harlot, right? She's burning, right? Cast into the lake of fire. And so, you know, everlasting flame, everlasting smoke. Um, I believe Isaiah also ties smoke to the torment of the ungodly. Um, and it is forever and ever. So uh, thirty-four ten says in Isaiah, night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Yeah. So very clear, very explicit, everlasting judgment. So you don't want to be in that place. (laughs) All right. We already kind of mentioned this, but, Verse four, you've got the living creatures and the elders all joining in that same praise. And they've got the, just the most simple little bit of praise there. You've got amen, hallelujah. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's, that's all you can get out. Sometimes that's enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also of when difficult times come and you don't even have the words, sometimes just all you can get out is Lord have mercy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that amen, meaning, you know, truly, or let it be so. Um, and, you know, you're, it's agreeing with it, calling it right and good and asking for that to stand to. And again, as Ben explained earlier, hallelujah, the Lord Yahweh be praised. And he's really the one that we have to give thanks to and to give the credit to for all of this, right? This Babylon and this prostitute troubled the church with the church feeling helpless through all the way and nobody seemingly could stop her and and Babylon and yet the Lord did. And the Lord is worthy to be praised. Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah, it's kind of interesting thought right so earlier in revelation was this in chapter five we have the martyrs beneath the altar is that chapter five um and they're what are they crying out from from beneath the altar how long oh lord right how long until you judge the nations how long till you avenge us for the evil done against us right And so the martyrs under the altar are crying out to God, uh, lamenting, as it were, for long periods of time, right? Because, I mean, this has been happening for a long time. We don't know uh, when this final day of judgment comes, right? And so just think about, about that, right? Like how long they wait to be acquitted, as it were, to be you know, to receive the, you know, for justice to be handed out um, for the injustice done against them. And so just kind of have that picture of they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're continually praying to God, you know, how long, you know, is it now (laughs) that you're going to avenge us, right? And they're patiently waiting, praying to God from beneath the altar. And then finally, finally, here it is. 
right? It comes. So this is tied into what Matt, you were talking about um, just a little bit ago. So you could kind of, you can hear the, the exuberance, right? And, you know, and how fantastic that would be, right? Finally, now, you know, God has seen fit to judge the harlot and the dragon and all of, you know, the devil and all of his, his minions and so on and so forth for all the evil they have done against God and against his people, right? Now, finally, the day of judgment has come, which is, again, for the believer, the day of deliverance as well, right? All right. Well, I think we accomplished our task, guys. We got all the way through verse four. Do you have any closing thoughts before we, before we wrap it up? God is good. There you go. Amen. Hallelujah. Perfect. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for today. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this passage in chapter 18 and 19, where it talks about the final destruction of Babylon, uh, about um, you know the devil finally facing judgment and his servants finally facing judgment. It was that call of, uh, of mercy that... Um, the saints were asking for beneath the throne and you have promised to fulfill it. And Lord, we pray that day would come quickly, the day when you would return and you would put an end to sin and make all things right. Um, Lord, just allow us to trust in you and long for that day. Praise the, pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. See you. See you guys. <laughs>